Hi there, welcome to the Neurodivergent Magic Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Griffith, and I am so excited to have you here. On this podcast, we talk about all forms of neurodivergence, from ADHD to learning disorders to giftedness to autism and more. If any of that sounds familiar, welcome to Neurodivergent Magic. Hello there, guys, gals, and non-binary pals, and welcome back to another episode of the Neurodivergent Magic Podcast. Today, I have a really great guest with me. Uh, Their name is Ember, and they are here to talk about early diagnosis of ADHD. So often online, especially, we talk about the trauma of late diagnosis and how hard it is to go your whole life without knowing what's going on. And Ember has some experience with that, with their autism, but uh, with ADHD, they were actually identified pretty young and it didn't save them the way that many late diagnosed people think early diagnosis will. So Ember's here to talk a little bit about that. And fair warning, we had some tech issues at the end. So the episode does end a little abruptly. uh, And I'm so sorry about that. I really tried to figure it out, but I am not a tech person. So anyway, without further ado, please enjoy this interview with Ember. Hey there, Ember. How are you doing? I'm hanging in there. How are you? Pretty much the same. Yes. <laughs> Good to know we're not alone in this boat. <laughs> yeah, no, that's life's getting crazy. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh my goodness. So we are here specifically to talk about all things neurodivergent, of course, but we want to talk mm. about early diagnosis of ADHD and like how that affected you, how it maybe helped, how it maybe hurt, um, all of all of the good stuff. So Um, before we dive in, I know this is the worst question in the world, but, um, can you tell us a little bit about you just so the listeners feel like they know who you are a little bit? Uh, you're right. This is the worst question in the world. Um, (laughs) um, that's the one that usually makes me panic and freeze. Um, (laughs) and I'm just like, uh, look over there. Um, no, um, I, oh shit, I don't even know where to start. Tell us a little bit about like, what's your favorite thing to do that's not related to work? Okay, that's not related to work. Um, well, um, I am a drag entertainer, so I get to, uh, I perform as a diva or quote unquote bio queen because I'm an AFAB entertainer. Uh, mm-hmm. AFAB is assigned female at birth for those who aren't aware already. Um, which uh, here, here soon, that may not even be legal where I live, but we'll get into that in another conversation another day. Oh man. <laughs> Oh yeah, it's getting rough uh, because I'm in one of those states right now. Um, But uh, it's a good platform, honestly, because I can use that to raise awareness for all kinds of things, such as neurodivergency and various other things that affect everybody every day. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, maybe not everybody, but a lot of people, at least for my circle of friends, it's everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) no, absolutely. Neurotypical friends. (laughs) Oh goodness. I don't think I do either. (laughs) (laughs) Like I have neurotypical family members and they just look at me like I'm crazy sometimes. (laughs) Oh yeah. Very familiar with the look. (laughs) So like it's that that one meme with that little kid and she's just like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So uh, you perform drag, which is awesome. Yeah. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about, um, your neurospicy brain and what's, what's going on up there? (laughs) Ah, sometimes all the things, sometimes not a thing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, no, um, I was diagnosed early on with ADHD when I was like, I think we finally got a diagnosis for ADHD when I was about 
eight, like seven or eight. So it was pretty early. Mm-hmm. I think my mom said it took him about a year, year and a half to get him to actually give me a diagnosis for something because they knew something was going on up there. Because right. like, I was one of those kids that like, I knew all the stuff we were learning in school and I got bored. So my grades were slipping because I didn't do the work because I got distracted and um, they got me medicated pretty quickly, which I, I was like, okay, it's a pill I have to take in the morning. Cause you know, seven, eight years old, mom tells you to take your medicine, you take your medicine. Right. You don't think much about it. Yeah. And then it, as I got older, they had to increase my dosage and it got to a point where my dosage was so high. It was making me faint. Oh no. So they were like, let's just take her off the medication. And, uh, I think when I was about 12 is when I came off the medication, but, um, my friends could tell. <laughs> yeah. But um, at the time, ADHD wasn't the universal blanket term for all of it. At the time, it was ADD, ADHD. And I was on the ADD side, technically, okay. because I didn't present hi- like physically hyperactive like most uh, people born male do. Okay. Yeah. So the so, hyperactivity like, I was, just was a much chatterbox more that got distracted and was flighty. <laughs> yeah. And like, a lot of a lot of mine is uh, it's very much the uh, if you've ever seen the movie Up the dog Doug, yeah, yes. Hi, I'm Doug Squirrel. Yeah, that that's very much how my brain is on a regular basis, and like it, it's, I've learned to cope with it. Like I uh, I never had any issues with my grades in school after after I got like a I don't know what I don't know what did it something in my brain triggered a switch and. I got like stellar grades throughout the rest of school. That's awesome. That's great. Which a lot of a lot of neurospicy people don't typically have that kind of luck, and I know that's definitely a struggle because school is boring and none of us want to be there. <laughs> right. Um, it's made uh, what what made me start trying to do some research and figure out if I was autistic or not was like I've always struggled holding a decent job for very long. The longest job I held was one that I quit back in November because it was making my mental health suffer because mm-hmm. it was not a neurospicy friendly environment at all. Yeah. It was a call center for those that are wondering. Uh, I do not recommend call centers if you're neurospicy. <laughs> yeah. Because for some of them, it might, for some people it might be okay because there's a rep is repetition it's routine, blah, blah, blah. For me, it got boring, but sure. also I was in customer service and it was wearing on me because mm-hmm. I was like, no, that's not this. This is what policy is. This is what we have to do. So it was, that was coming into the, oh, we have to follow the rules, mm-hmm. which, yeah. And then work would tell me to do the polar opposite thing. And then I would do the thing and then I would get in trouble for doing what they told me to do. And I was like, what do you want me to do? <laughs> right. Yes. Uh, the navigating neurotypical uh, rule structures is so weird to me as an autistic person. Like, oh my God. It's like <laughs> they have the rule structure that is official and that right. no one actually follows. Then there's the unofficial rule structure that no one speaks of. And if you say you're going to do that, people will be like, no, no, no. But if you just do it, that's actually what's expected. And there were times where I would just do it and I would still get in trouble and be like, oh no, why'd you do this? What? Or they would do a policy change and not say anything until like, like we, we, uh, being in a call center, we had quality scores. Right. So, cause you know, they have to make, maintain customer, make sure quality assurance, blah, 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 whatever. Cool. Fine. 
I would do a thing that I'd been doing for several months and it was fine. And then I would get a quality score saying, oh no, no, this isn't right anymore. Well, when the fuck did that change? Right, exactly. It, they, they don't always tell you when expectations shift and- And then there's pressure because now you're like, oh God, how much more did I mess up that they're gonna score now? Right. Because they don't even look at the dates. They just pull and, they just pull and score. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm just like, eh, nope. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So when it comes to the ADHD specifically, because that was like an earlier mm-hmm. diagnosis, whereas the autism right. was later, um, how did it affect you? Like being diagnosed with ADHD at age eight, like, did it affect you at all? Or were you kind of like, eh, like, how did you feel about it then? Um, well, I mean, at that age, I really didn't understand much of what was going on. I just knew that like, I was a little different from everybody else. I didn't, um, it, it was hard for me to make friends because, um, not everybody thought like I did. Sure. And uh, so I, like, I had a few close friends, like one of them I'm still friends with to this day, but, um, everybody else, like I, I got made fun of a lot because I was, I was different. I was always the butt of jokes. I was always, uh, like this is going from as far back as I can remember all the way up to like early adulthood. I was, uh, including my own family sometimes, like the, even they would pick on me just for being the odd duck in the house. Like it was not an easy time. Yeah. And my parents didn't think that anything was actually like wrong mentally, aside from the fact that I was a little flighty sometimes, because they didn't understand that ADHD is more than just being forgetful or being scatterbrained, you know, mm-hmm. they, they thought it was just that they didn't understand the depth and the complexity of what ADHD is. Like yeah. I got called lazy for having like ADHD paralysis. I got called lazy for that. I got called, um, uh, stupid for not remembering a thing that was told to me five minutes prior. You know, I, it was a lot growing up. Like my dad has finally gotten to the point where he's recognized, Oh, I was an asshole. And he started making amends for that. That's amazing. My mom was a special ed teacher. So she started picking up on things as more stuff started coming to light with research and stuff that's gone on over the years. Yeah. And she was like, oh, wow. Okay. That's what this is. And then my dad thought I outgrew it because I learned how to mask and cope with it. Sure. And I was like, I don't think you can outgrow that, but okay. And then I talked to, uh, when I was talking to a psychiatrist recently, like within the last few years, they were like, yeah, no, you don't outgrow ADHD. That's something that you stay, that you stick with for life. That's not, that's not something that can be like cured or can go away or anything. You, you, you're stuck with it. Right. Exactly. It's a neurotype. It's the way your brain is formed and the way that it yeah. works. <laughs> and they're like, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just not something you grow out of. And I was like, oh, so my dad was an idiot. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it sounds like growing up, you, it, it wasn't necessarily helpful to know. Like, it sounds like you still got a lot of the judgment and the shame that goes along with people who are undiagnosed. I did. And honestly, like it, it probably wouldn't have made any difference whether or not I was diagnosed and whether or not I was out the, it, like the way I was treated, I don't think would have changed with or without a diagnosis, if I'm being honest, because most of my family, or at least the most of the family that I interacted with was my dad's side at that time. And most of them are neurotypical. Okay. Like the neurospicy comes from my mom's side very much. Um, so like having her as the only person in the house who might've understood a little bit how I was feeling, but she also is, she is undiagnosed. 
because that there's a lot in her that I see. And I'm like, oh, that's an ADHD thing. <laughs> but she's pushing 50 and I don't think she's going to go for a diagnosis right now because that may actually be more detrimental to her now than it would have been had she got diagnosed earlier on. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. How do you think it would like, how do you think it would be detrimental to her now uh, to have that label? Do you think there's too much shame associated with it or some of the practical limitations or? Well, I don't think it's a shame thing necessarily. It's just um, where she lives, like she's, she's retired, Mm -hmm. but sometimes she'll pick up an odd job here and there just to kind of have some extra money for herself. But like, I don't know. There's a lot of places where she lives that if they see that you have any form of quote unquote mental handicap for lack of a better term, sure. They won't hire or they'll judge you instantly and be like, Oh, can you handle this? Or because they don't know how, they don't know how to interact with anybody who's not neurotypical. Yeah. Okay. That brings up such a good question that I am curious about as someone who was diagnosed early on and that's disclosure. So like over the years, did you tell people or was it more of a secret or was it not a secret, but you just didn't bring it up because it wasn't relevant? Pretty much. It was pretty much like it. I didn't keep it a secret really uh, like with the ADHD, like at all. I mean, some of them kind of picked up on it, but they're like, okay, whatever. You're still doing the job. It's no big deal. Yeah. Um, but like, honestly, when it comes to like, at least at that time, uh, like, or well, okay, sorry, let me backtrack a little bit (laughs) early adulthood. I didn't bother with it because it wasn't relevant and nobody asked. So I was like, okay, whatever. I want to be like silently judged by saying anything. So like, if they didn't ask, I didn't say anything. Okay. Totally. if I don't feel safe in an environment or if I'm not sure if it's a safe environment, I won't say anything now until I'm sure that I'm not going to be judged or looked at any differently in a negative way anyway. Like I want them to understand, Hey, this is that I'm different because of this. However, that doesn't change how I do things. Yeah. Okay. So that's sort of been your approach with employers. I guess I'm curious too about like friends growing up. Did it ever come up then or not really? My closest friends knew. Yeah. Ones that I were the ones that I was just like acquainted with. They were like, okay, whatever. Um anybody that I didn't really that I wasn't really close to, I didn't if they weren't close to me, they didn't know any details about me, except that I was weird. Sure. Yeah. And then there's a really fascinating study uh, out. It's specific to autism, but I'm sure it applies to ADHD as well. But um about oh, what are they called? Like split second judgments, um, where apparently most neurotypicals can spot an autistic person almost immediately. They just don't realize autism that they're spotting. They just think they're weird. Uh, I pick, I I pick up on it pretty quickly. Yeah. (laughs) I pick up on it pretty quickly. I'm not even going to lie. Um, and it may not even necessarily be autism that I'm spotting. I could also be spotting. Like I told you with my mom, I, I can see her ADHD traits a mile away absolutely absolutely and I'm just like uh yeah I call it my neuro spicy radar yeah yes yep 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 <laughs> I totally understand it yeah the crazy thing is when we're kids a lot of kids pick up on this stuff they just don't realize like they don't have the language so all they have is oh that kid's weird and I don't know did you go through like the bullying and all of that awful- oh my god yes all the way through school as far back as I can remember all the way up to my, basically my junior year, 
my senior year, we were the top dogs and I didn't really get picked on that much. Sure. But like all the way up until that point, like I, I was picked on ruthlessly. Yeah. It was a lot of verbal, it was a lot of verbal bullying. Um, I almost got beat up by this one chick because I tripped over my own two feet and fell on her in, a, in the lunch line. And had a teacher not been standing right there, I would have, I would have probably been missing a few teeth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Not fun. Okay. So I'm curious about like the implications that this has for early diagnosis. Cause we hear it over and over, right? Like early mm-hmm. diagnosis, early intervention, it makes such a difference. And it feels like for you, maybe it didn't. And so it did not. <laughs> like, uh, sorry, I'm not laughing at you. It's just if either laugh or cry, no. it feels like, <laughs> no, um, with, uh, with me, I got the early diagnosis, but what I should have also had that I didn't get is I didn't have any kind of therapy to go through to work with that. Mm-hmm. I had to develop my own coping mechanisms. I had to figure out how to mask on my own, which took a while and it still didn't help me much growing up, but it, it's helped a lot as an adult now that I got it down, but um, it's to the point where like, medication helped briefly. And then as I've gotten older and been off the medication for a very, very long time at this point, um, almost 20 years, actually, holy crap. I've been unmedicated for almost 20 years. I tried Vyvanse briefly a couple of years back and it had more bad effects than good. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, at this point in my life, I'm like, I've gone unmedicated this long. I might as well just not but like, had I had a therapist growing up, I think it would have been a lot easier for me. That is something that like, if you do get an early diagnosis, see a therapist or a behavioral specialist regularly or something, because that is going to be what's the most helpful with early diagnosis. Because early diagnosis at that point is just a piece of paper saying that your brain's different. Right. Exactly. Without the knowledge and the language and the acceptance, it how is it supposed to help? <laughs> yeah. Cause like, I didn't, that's something that a lot of younger people now have more access to than I did right. at seven, eight years old, which was like 2000, 1999, 2000. There wasn't a whole lot of that available at that time. No. And if there was, I don't think they would have known what they were doing. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. Cause there would have been like, this is uncharted territory. What do we do? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, that that's probably the biggest thing is like if you're able to get early diagnosis make sure that there's somebody that you can talk to professionally that can help you work through it and work with it and develop those skills that you need to function in life because okay. i've learned so that's way. yeah that's an amazing piece of advice and thank you uh i guess i'm wondering too what would you tell parents of uh early diagnosed kiddos uh, besides, you know, make sure they're in therapy, make sure they have the language to understand their own brain. Also learn the language that they need to understand that way you can better understand them. And if they're trying to tell you how a thing is working, they're not going to find the words the way that a neurotypical person would. So whatever words you're saying may not make sense right away, but try to understand what they're saying because like words are hard in general. But um, if your kid's trying to tell you that something's up, listen, it may not be the way that a neurotypical kid would tell you, 
but like if if they're if they're learning the language they need to understand their brains also take the time to learn the same thing so that you can be right there with them and be as supportive as possible absolutely and don't push your medication right away because it can have detrimental side effects yeah mm-hmm. yeah this is a very like medication neutral podcast so like it it's great for some people and for others it's not the right choice and that absolutely makes sense. Like you were saying, uh, the Vyvanse, you, it had more negative effects than positive. And that's actually, believe it or not, relatively common, uh, amongst ADHD years, um, because treating the ADHD brings out the autistic traits and it's yep. like, Oh, now that's a whole other beast to deal with. <laughs> yeah. Cause like, I didn't even, I didn't even have any sort of inkling that I might've been autistic until oh, after I came off that medication and then I started I seeing online. things that lined up and I was like, I'm sorry, what is going on now? <laughs> um, and then I started seeing a lot of the TikToks from like different psychiatrists and stuff and other people who are autistic. And I was like, oh, dots are connecting. <laughs> who have been zoning out and are tuning back in. What is one thing you want them to take away from the episode? Um, the one thing I want them to take away is like, um couple of points like if you did get an early diagnosis but it didn't really do anything you're not alone there's a lot of us out there that didn't have any change of experience with early diagnosis but also for the ones that do get early diagnosis take advantage of having that professional to help you work through the coping mechanisms work through the uh like learning how to understand how your brain's working like with early diagnosis, that's the main thing is learning how everything works and how to, how to use it to your advantage, I guess, is the best thing. As always, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, make sure you give us a follow over on Spotify, leave a review over on Apple Podcasts, and tune in next Saturday for another amazing episode.